that we're just an extraordinary people because of what you've done in our lives. Father, we thank you that we stand in the presence of God, that we have been raised up to heavenly places and seated with him, seated with you in heavenly places. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Once we were not a people and now we are a people. Father, thank you for the identity, the new identity that you've given us. Father, just keep expanding our hearts with all that you've done for us. Keep expanding our vision for all you want to do through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do take your seats. Uh, You guys happy on the side if you want to come and join us in the middle? Keep me happy. But if you're happy there, that's fine. Okay, don't don't feel under any pressure. Oh yeah, we'll do the offering. Uh, While we're doing that, um, so let's go for our declaration. Should we do our declaration? Declaration number two, this is. It's a great one. So you can sit, or if you want to stand, feel free to, to do either. Oh, there you go. Giving to you, Lord, is part of our worship. Should we do this together? I can't hear you. It's all right. Giving to you, Lord, is part of our worship. Comes from hearts of love. We choose to partner with you in the increase of your kingdom. We are believing you for the transformation of our community. For jobs and dream jobs, businesses to succeed, new enterprises to be established, creative ideas and initiatives, miraculous healings and excellent health care, strong, vibrant and enjoyable relationships, great learning environments full of care and friendship for staff and students. We release your goodness, love and prosperity into our community. Amen. Now just bear with me for the moment. Just flick that back two slides, Ian, could you? That's the one. Jobs and dream jobs, businesses to succeed, new enterprises to be established, and creative ideas and initiatives. Is anybody in need of any of those right now or in the near future? Just keep your hand up. Wow. <laughs> How much unemployment have we got in the church? No. <laughs> you don't have to be angry. You might be just going for a different job. Sorry? I know it's more than that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Thank you, Alison, for picking me up on it. Just keep your hands up then, if that's, if that's you. Wow, we're going to do a lot of praying now. So if you're sitting next, sat next to somebody with a hand up, and if they're okay with this, just check with them. Just lay hands on them. And we're not only going to declare those things, but we're just going to release them over you. Okay? Powerful are the prayers of a righteous man or woman. And all of you are righteous in God's sight, so that, that qualifies you. And you can pray that. So, Father, we release jobs and dream jobs and businesses to succeed and new enterprises to be established and creative ideas and initiatives. Father, we pray right now for problems that need to be solved, that you, that you would release your kingdom solution to those problems. But Father, when we go into work on Monday or any time this week, but we want it soon, Lord. We want breakthrough with members of staff. We want breakthrough into markets. We want a breakthrough into jobs. We want creative solutions into whatever line of work that we have. We want creative ideas for our families. We want creative ideas for our church. We want creative ideas for wherever we are in your world. So won't you release those now in Jesus' name? Amen. On. Are you encouraged? Every invention that's ever been invented has been an idea of God. Whether it's come from a Christian source or not, doesn't, well, I mean, it's nice when Christians get creative ideas. But actually, all those ideas, isn't it amazing when you come across somebody who doesn't know anything about God and an idea pops into their head? The steam engine, where did that come from? The microchip, where did that come from? And I know there's a kind of human side to this, you know, where people work out the problems, isn't it? But time and time again, when you talk to innovators and creative people, I don't know, one day I was walking along and this idea popped into my head. 
Well, how does that work? I know the brain is an amazing thing, isn't it? But God is just dropping ideas. Everything comes from him and is, and he is in it and he, you know, and everything is for him. So is that both of God and of Christ, you know, in scripture. And we're getting used to, you know, realizing that there is not this separation between the spiritual and the secular, isn't there? We know what we mean by the secular when people have turned away from God, no longer see God from God, uh, the world from God's point of view. But for a Christian, there are no limits. There are not spiritual things and secular things. It's all under God's reign and rule. And even, you know, man, men and women made in the image of God and they, whether they know God or not, we want them to know God. Because actually then our ideas will be turned to the right purposes. But sometimes they're not. And, uh, you know, so there's plenty of kingdom values that need to be inspired. By the way, this is not the sermon. This is just, just a nice thought. <laughs> More than a nice thought. Anyway, we've got a couple of notices. Can we get the first one up? Eastgate, that's a good notice. They're in there somewhere, Ian. <laughs> They're both next Sunday, just to warm you up. And uh, one of them involves food, and the other one, baptisms. Oh, we are there. Can't find them? Machine's playing up. Okay, they are quite simple, actually. Next week, we'll have baptisms, hopefully in the 9 o'clock service, 11.30 and 6.30. Uh, if you haven't been baptised and want to be baptised, or know you should be baptised... Uh, come and see me afterwards and we'll get you, slot you into one of those meetings. Uh, you know, the whole service won't be focused around the baptisms, but there will be a big part of what we do next week. And then next week is also a church picnic. It's, uh, one way you bring the food yourself, by the way. Uh, just say that, just say to yourself, I must bring the, f- oh, there we go. Oh, it's there. there go. Um, just to remind you, actually, why don't you bring a little bit extra to share with other people? Um, or just bring what you normally bring, pray over it, and then you can feed 5,000 people. Right? It has been done before. <laughs> and, uh, there's a precedent for it. And uh, so, okay, we're okay with that? Good. Have I covered everything? Anybody here for the first time, by the way? Anybody, any visitors? Come on. Brilliant. Let's give this man a round of applause. Have you come from far? Essex, come on. My home, my home county. You're, you're doubly welcome. Where are you, whereabouts in Essex are you from? Brentwood and Basildon. Right. Well, I'm from Chelmsford. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Just a little bit of Essex banter there. You know, they got all, we've got to stick together. This, this is Kent. You know, you know what they're like here. But so uh, you got your passport. Yes. Will they let you back in? That's a thing. Okay. Um, Here's what I'd like to do this evening. I'm going to preach now, and uh, and if you, if you thought that was a sermon, uh, there's another one. And two for the price of one, that's not bad, is it? That's, uh, and if you'd like to stick around for coffee afterwards, I'm going to be downstairs, and I would love to, if you want to just gather around, get your chairs around, I'd love to get some direct feedback from you. Uh, we don't often do this, but I thought, what a great way to do this on a, on a Sunday evening, okay? If you want to buy me a coffee, that's even better. But that's not a requirement. And, uh, but um, I'd like to get your feedback on, uh, on some of our preaching. And uh, we're encouraging our preachers to get more and more feedback. In fact, we're, we're trying to develop a much, much better feed, what we call a feedback culture. Right? Scripturally, we are called to love one another. Sometimes that involves you know, speaking the truth in love to one another. Um, but one of the great, one of the easiest ways for us to do that is actually to invite it, isn't it? Somebody said to me recently, how did you experience me in that meeting? I thought, I don't know. Um, you were there, I was there. I didn't say this, this was just what was going in my mind. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I thought, you were fine. You know, and they were just concerned. They just want some feedback about, you know, how they, and I thought that was great, isn't it? How many of you invite, how many of us invite feedback on, on anything? You know, how we're doing at work, how we're doing as husband and wife, or, you know, walking in the kingdom. Um, have you ever asked God for his feedback? So I'll go, I'll go home tonight and I say, God, how was that? 
you know, you're here helping me preach the sermon. How was that for you? (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, God is so affirming, okay? I could preach forever with God's approval. And, uh, but, uh, you know, he's so affirming of us. And, and unfortunately, sometimes feedback has got quite a negative connotation, is it? <sighs> I don't want feedback. Why? Because we're so used to people giving us negative feedback. Whereas, actual fact, we should be receiving more positive feedback, even if we need some correction. I like the definition of feedback. It's um, positive and constructive. So you give positive feedback. Constructive if you like, that's what some people would, thought, would think of as negative. But actually, even some of our negative comments or our corrections need to be positive, aren't they? The way we've done them. Anyway, so that's your third sermon of the evening. Sorry, the second. You're about to get the third one. Um, so I'd love you to stay. If, you, if you've got to dash away, I can understand. But if I'd love you, I'll just come downstairs. And if you just gather around, we'll get some feedback. So I want to talk to you this evening about something that I, is, is my favorite subject, uh, if you've been part of any of the schools in the church here, um, but it was something that powerfully impacted me when I, I went to Bethel, uh, having read a lot of Bill's books, it was Chris Vallotton's book, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, that really stood out for me, and then I went on to, to write uh, my own book around the, uh, the, the same subject, and I guess, I mean, some of you are second and third year students here, so I know that you've heard some of this before, but I hope that you will just kind of chime in. Actually, folks, if, you, if, you, if during the sermon you want to uh, just close your eyes, I won't, you know, I won't pick you out and embarrass you. Um, it just might be that that's the way that you encounter God, that you're listening to what I'm saying, but you're kind of listening with your spirit. In fact, there's usually three people involved in a sermon. There should always be three people involved. The preacher, you, and the Holy Spirit. And I've said this before here, but I'll say it again if you hadn't heard it. In 1 John 2, it says, John says, you don't need teachers. Interesting, isn't it? You don't need teachers because you have the anointing in you. And by the anointing, he means the Holy Spirit. So whenever you're receiving teaching, you are receiving it by the Holy Spirit through the person who's preaching. But you're also receiving because the Spirit inside you is teaching you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and teach us again. And Father, if this is a familiar truth, then make it deeper, bigger, and more and more expansive. And help me to live in the good of it. Help your, Lord, help this truth to take me places that I haven't been to before. Hmm. (laughs) That's a daring prayer. If you've entered into that prayer, that's a daring prayer. Father, take us to places in our understanding of our identity that we haven't been to before. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so strap your seatbelt on you're going to somewhere you haven't been to before even if it's familiar ground so there's a famous German philosopher called Schleiermacher and he got to the end of his life he'd written volumes of philosophy and theology and he gets to the end of his life And he's found in a park somewhere in Germany, and a policeman comes along because he looks quite disheveled. In fact, he could easily have passed as a homeless person. And uh, and the policeman comes up and says, probably in quite an authoritative tone, who are you? And this great philosopher turns around with all his years of philosophy and theology and says, I don't know who I am. That's a bit sad, isn't it? How can you get to the end of your life and not know who you are. And yet, if you had to write something over our culture at the moment, you'd have to write something like identity crisis, wouldn't you? Even this morning in in, in our meeting, one of our parents was just sharing with us about the gender confusion that their kids are having. That now people, you know, um, Facebook, 
did a poll recently of the different kind of identities that you can self-identify with. There were 70 different identities that people could isolate. Now, don't ask me to, I can't number them to you. Google it at home because it, um, it was either Google or Facebook. Who did, I think it was, but you'll find it somewhere. Just put in, gen- well, put in identity, probably gender identity. And there are 70 different variations. I mean, there's even a variation where I don't want to identify as anything. I don't want anybody labeling me, so I haven't got a specific identity. But, you know, I'm going to wake up every morning and decide who I am that day. Or maybe I'll have a week doing this and a week doing that. And maybe, you know, 52 weeks in a year. Well, I've not even used up my 70 if I'm one every week. There's actually something quite demonic about that, isn't there? I don't use that word loosely because Christ came to give us an identity and yet the very thing that Christ came to give and to assure us of, you know, no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. That's an identity statement, isn't it? And yet, yet our world is kind of going further and further away from God and in going further and further away from God, so it's losing its identity and now, in, under the guise, I mean, there are many good things about equality in our society. But the flip side of the drive towards equality is that we have to recognize what everybody wants to be. And that actually is almost like, you know, it's like Pandora's box, isn't it? Someone has taken the chains or, you know, loosed the horses and they're running wild. And so our kids are growing up more and more, uh, not only under pressure through social media, and of course there are many good things about social media, but so much pressure around, you know, performance and being something. You know, you can understand how they're confused. I don't think I thought about whether I was a boy or not as I grew up. I was a boy. Girls were girls and boys were boys. It was fairly straightforward. I don't think I had any doubt. I mean, I don't think I even began to think about that until much more. You know, well, it's okay. I'm still believe I'm a boy and, or a man. Actually, if you, if you talk to people in the gay community, always, it, oh, I could never quite get my head around why the gay community was so offended. I mean, it's, you know, it could be offended by this, by offended by the biblical teaching around homosexuality. Now, you know, this is dialing back a bit into the 70s and 80s, by the way, so things have moved on, you know, since then. But then I, real, and then I started to realize, I, I began, there was, there was one clue as to why they were getting so offended that suddenly hit me between the eyes. It wasn't just that my Christian view was saying that their lifestyle was wrong. I was actually attacking their sense of identity. See, the, homosec- the, the gay community not only not only believe that they, you know that their behaviour is okay, but they believe that that that's, that definition is who they are. I am a homosexual. I am a lesbian. I am a transgender. That's my identity. It's not just my behaviour. So you know, if somebody was questioning my sense of identity, uh, I'd probably be angry about it, maybe eventually. I mean, who are you to tell me who I am? As a Christian, I'm very happy for God to tell me who I am, because he's a good, good father. And actually, isn't it, isn't it interesting the way that uh, in the Christian church, certainly churches like our own and probably many others, have been stressing two things, intimacy with the father and the sense of identity in Christ. That's not a coincidence. Right? Under the sovereign freedom and power of the Holy Spirit, he is bringing to us fresh revelation, fresh intimacy with the Father. Why did Jesus come to earth? I remember Bill Johnson sort of uh, asking this question in a meeting. And his answer was fairly straightforward, to reveal the Father. And it's one of those truths you think, well, oh yeah, (laughs) 
That's what he came to do, isn't it? No, he revealed many other things. But at its heart, particularly through John's gospel, you read it, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's funny, isn't it? When uh, Philip goes to Jesus and says, show us the father. You know, he was expecting Jesus to do something. What he hadn't got, so he got that bit. He saw the importance of knowing the Father. He just didn't realize that knowing Jesus led you to knowing the Father. You know, if you know me, you know the Father. Me and the Father, we're the same expression of the same things, the same character, the same love, the same grace, the same every kind of quality that you can think of. And, you know, what our society needs is actually to rediscover its sense of identity. If you know the Father, then you will truly know who you are. Because when you're loved and affirmed by the Father, that's when you discover your true identity. And whether it's male or female in terms of your, your sense of identity, you know, and actually we mustn't, you know, as Christians we need to maintain that, but actually we need to maintain it under the sort of umbrella, if you like, of our identity in Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? Galatians 3, where it says, there is neither male or female. Now, Paul isn't ruling out the importance of being male or female and knowing which you are. But more importantly, he's saying there is neither male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And when we discover our oneness, then we'll also discover our sense of identity. And you see, it's so important for you and for me to know who we truly are. Not only, first and foremost, for its own sake. First and foremost, if you like, because it's true. But how much more also that we will be a witness to the world around us. If you just turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. In your Bibles or your tablets? Well, your Bible on your tablet or your phone. 1 Peter 2, it says, verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare, so that's your identity, you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you belong to God. What, what, what's that for? Well, in its own right, it's true, but it's also for that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So if we're secure in who we are, then we can declare that in itself is a declaration. Right? I am a man. That's becoming a revolutionary statement in our society, isn't it? I want to say I'm a woman, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you're a woman. You're a woman. That's, a, that's becoming a revolutionary statement in our society. Now, we don't want to give the, you know, one sense, one, one particular group in our society too much kind of uh, airspace, as it were. So, you know, often things go in fads, don't they? You know, in the media, it's almost like a fad amongst the media, but it is becoming embedded that, you know, that you can find your own identity. You can decide your own identity yourself. You can self-identify. You know, I self-identify as a Christian. But actually, it's not me just doing that. That's Christ. Christ has chosen to identify himself with me. That's given me my sense of identity. My identity is rooted in my relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's a great place to be, isn't it? I'm secure in who I, who I am because of my faith in him. It's interesting, actually, in that passage that Peter, rather, is actually quoting, where it says, verse 10, once you are not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's a direct quotation from Hosea, or at least the first part of that. And if you know the story of Hosea, Hosea the prophet is told by God to go and love a prostitute. And that turns out to be a picture of God's love. Hosea becomes like a metaphor 
for God's love for his people who have prostituted themselves by going after false gods. So here's Peter lifting that verse up and saying it's just like Hosea. God has poured out his love. God's come to a people who have gone away from him and now they've come back and they have found their true identity. They've found that they are a chosen people. They are a holy nation. They are a royal priesthood. As I was growing up, I never really thought about who I was. Never gave it very much thought. When I got saved, I'm not sure that I gave the question of identity too much thought either. Because the kind of Christianity that I got saved into never really talked about it a great deal. I was saved, I was going to heaven, I knew God's forgiveness, I knew, eventually I realized that, you know, this was all by the grace of God. All those truths were great. They took me to a, to a different place than I was what, before, but actually I was almost persuaded not to think about my identity. Don't think about yourself because you're a miserable sinner and you need to give God all the glory. And if you start, so my, sorry, my cup. If you start thinking about yourself, you're not really glorifying God. That's, if you've never discovered that about yourself, and if you've been around in the Christian church for the last 20 or 30 years, you may have ex- at least experienced that. And I believe what God is doing is he's giving us permission to think about ourselves. Why? Because he is doing a glorious work in us. And actually that glorious work is to his glory. Just try this out. It's kind of embedded in our society, isn't it? When somebody pays you a compliment, particularly when in church, what are you most likely to say in response to that compliment? Just just imagine your response at the moment. You know, you were brilliant in that session. You let that that children's work so brilliantly. You're really good at your job. You're raising a fantastic family. How do you respond? (laughs) It's all, you know, God, God did it all. It's not me, it's God. How many times have you done that? Or, you know, you just, actually, in our society, we don't know how to handle praise, do we? I've started to say, and I've tried to make it a bit of a practice, when people say to somebody, say, thank you so much for that. Yes, you're right. I really did. <laughs> I really did that well. Or, yeah, I think it was good. It's fantastic. You know, what, why, why are we so slow? I, I imagine God looking down on us, And, you know, you're busy saying, I want to give God all the glory. I want to give it. You did it, Lord. I am nothing. You are everything. You know, I can do nothing. Of course, you are, in one sense, nothing. Of course, we can't do anything out with God. But I bet God's looking down and saying, I think you were involved a little bit. In fact, if you read through your Bible, the people who don't obey me, they don't do so great. But the ones that do obey me, They do fantastic. I like them. I like them anyway. But I like them as well because of what they do. Does it please God? Is God saying, that's my boy. That's my girl. You are my, we just read in his word, you are my chosen people. You know, if your son and daughter did something great like you're, you're at sports day and they, they do a great race or you know they, you go to parents evening and, they've, and the teachers they just got so much praise for them and then you go home and you tell your kids do they say it's all down to you dad it's all down to you mum well you know kind of in a measure it is you know they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you but yeah. <laughs> that's not the point is it hey Phil so, you know, they, they might think, they might give you a, a, a little bit of a compliment, but they know how to receive. Actually, often children know how to receive compliments better than adults, don't they? And actually, let's, let's push this a little bit further. 
To actually acknowledge that you were involved in something does actually give glory to God. Because God has chosen to extend his kingdom through you. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're very good Buddhists. You know what a Buddhist believes? A Buddhist believes that if he can get rid of his personality, then, you know, and just eventually when he dies, is like a drop that disappears into the ocean. In fact, if you get the source of all evil is your personality. And if I can get rid of my personal, my personal existence, then all my suffering will have ended. Well, of course, that is true. <laughs> if you got rid of all your personal existence, you wouldn't have any more suffering. Uh, you know, but, but sometimes as Christians, we can be like that. Oh, it wasn't me. It was God. It was you. You prayed and the person got healed. God has given you the privilege to be co-workers in his kingdom. My definition of humility is this. Humility is how you handle your greatness. See, anybody can do low, low self-esteem. Who's done low self-esteem here? Anybody? So, low self-worth, right? Do you recommend it? Does anybody recommend it? Oh. So actually getting hold of who you are in Jesus, a chosen nation, a chosen people, a, royal, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that you are royalty, is actually giving more glory to God, because God has done that in you. But it's okay for you to acknowledge and live in the good of it. And one of our reasons we don't live in the good of our true identity is we're not truly believing in it. We're a totally different subject this morning, but I'm telling people to say, you know, we need to... What's the phrase? Come on, David, what's the phrase? What's the phrase, Lorna, I used this morning? You were here. We need to be believing believers. Now that's... I checked this with my wife. That's a tautology. It's a contradiction, isn't it? To be belie- If you're a believer, you're a believer. Our problem is, we don't really believe some of the things we should believe. It took us years, certainly took me years. You know, if you'd asked me 40 years ago, do I believe in healing? Of course I believe in healing. Jesus healed the sick. But you believe in healing so, so much that you will pray for the sick, or you will heal the sick. No, it took, it took you know, it's embarrassing really when I think about it, although, you know, we didn't really tell our connection with Bethel, although we still believed in healing. We got disappointed, we got discouraged, and we kind of gave up, and we kind of put it on the back burner. But actually, God wants his truth. You can't have a Christian, any Christian truth that's on the back burner. It's got to be in the forefront. I know that's quite a challenge for us, isn't it? But, you know, you are a new creation. Just say with me, I am a new creation. I am a royal priest. I've been chosen by God. I am holy. I am righteous. You won't find any more, anybody more righteous than me. <laughs> We're hesitating there, aren't we? Turn to the person next to you and say, you are looking at the most righteous person you're ever going to see. Is Jesus the most righteous person who walked the earth? Well, he's living in you. There's your righteousness right there. Now, we know we make mistakes. We know we slip up. We know we don't always live according to the new nature, but that doesn't change your new nature. This is the miracle that's happened in you. Jesus died for this. Jesus rose again for this. Jesus ascended into heaven so that you could both die with him, rise with him, and ascend into heaven with him. You have the righteousness of Christ in you. That makes you the most righteous person walking the earth. Now, there's at least 40 others in the room, I know, just right now. So, you know, we're, but here's another thing, isn't it? As soon as the truth gets shared around, as soon, well, I'm not the only one. Well, that's true. But is it, does that devalue it at all? Oh, well, everybody's like that. Well, in our thinking, sometimes it does, doesn't it? In our thinking, we sort of think, well, it's true for everybody, so it's not so special. Do you realize that the gospel is special to everybody who receives it? When Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, 
Reveal your love to them. The same love that you loved me with, love them. I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. If Jesus is sitting next to you, and of course he is, (laughs) he is here, and the Father is looking down on you and Jesus, who does he love more? His perfect son, or the not-so-perfect you, although in one sense you are perfect because you have the righteousness of Christ. That's the... The interesting thing, isn't it? He, when Jesus prayed, John, does she, do Jesus' prayers always get answered? It is an interesting thought, isn't it? And the answer is yes. But, you know, it's worth thinking. <laughs> so when he prayed that you would know the same love of the Father as he knew, that prayer is being answered in your life. Whether, of course, you've entered into that experience, you know, is is another aspect of it. But you can do. You can receive the same love that Jesus had. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is established in his identity before he actually does anything. And so often we want to define ourselves by what we do. And the Bible, God's truth, is defining ourselves by, by who we are. That's our starting point. That is the grace of God in the gospel towards us, that Jesus does all of this for us when we simply receive him. When we first become a Christian, you receive Christ, you receive his righteousness, you receive this new nature. It's all yours and that's your true identity. So here's the thought. If Christ is our king, and he has all the attributes of royalty, do you share the same attributes? Think of one aspect of Christ's royalty. Let's try this out. Can you think of anything, that, you know, any description? Jesus is a king. What are the qualities that... King Jesus has. He has authority. Absolute authority, isn't it? All authority has been given to him. And if we are like him, we have the same authority. Why is it that Jesus was able to say, you know, you know, if you believe in me, you will do greater things even than I have done. If he hadn't given you the authority to do those things. So your sense of royalty gives you the authority. I am a royal son and daughter of the king. There is nobody between me and Jesus. I stand in his presence. In fact, I am seated with him in heavenly places. I'm not in the pecking order down here. Nobody questions whether the royalty, you know, I mean, I know our kings and queens now don't have the same power they used to have. But the context in the Bible, they certainly did. And anyway, our authority comes from the king of kings. But God has given you authority. Just It's like he's put this orb, this scepter in your hand and says you have the authority to release the kingdom of God into this world. Let's take another aspect, another aspect of royalty. What makes Jesus a king? What makes any king a king? Or a queen? Pardon? A kingdom. Come on. You can't really be a king without a kingdom, can you? I know temporarily, in one sense, you know, you still have that, that, that uh, if you've been made a king, but every king has a kingdom. Do you have a kingdom? Anybody part of a kingdom here? The answer is yes. It's not a trick question. Our problem sometimes is we make the kingdom too small, don't we? One of the failings of of the Christian church over the last few decades, maybe even last few generations, is we've shrunken the kingdom and called it the church. And that wouldn't be so bad, except that the church, in the Western world at least, has been in decline. 
The reason why there aren't thousands of people at Glastonbury saying, you know, I'm no longer a slave to fear, is because the the church has kind of shrunk in our nation. And sometimes because the church has just believed that it's the church. Now, the church is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Sometimes when I preach this, people will come up and say, have you got something against the church? Not at all. The church is the kingdom community. But the kingdom doesn't stop at the church, does it? Give you a silly example. Are there any churches on Mars? Not as far as we know. (laughs) But does God's kingdom extend to Mars? Does it extend to the edges of the solar system? Does it extend beyond that to the Milky Way, which is our galaxy? Which is only one of billions of galaxies. That's the rule and reign. The rule and reign of Jesus, even on, you know, just looking at our universe, that's where it extends to, doesn't it? You are the son and daughter of the king who made that universe. That's incredible, isn't it? I forgot what you said now. What was it you said? Kingdom. Yeah. And when you get... One of the reasons why the church has not stepped into its true identity is that we've been very church-focused. And it's been... You know, it's important to be good at church, if you like. We want thriving, beautiful church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's precious to him. But actually, the church's job is to extend the kingdom. By implication, we are doing something that goes beyond our community, doesn't it? The very fact that we do evangelism into the wider community is because we want to extend the kingdom of God. You are extending the kingdom of God every day in your workplace, in your family, in your community. Why? Because you're kingdom people. You have a kingdom identity. Thank you for that. See what you set off in me. <laughs> Let's do one, one or two others. I've got some favourite ones. If you get those, then I'll really roll. Yes, power. Oh, come on. God is powerful, isn't he? I mean, we don't probably need to preach on this too much for you because you, I know you believe that. Our issue is that are we powerful? Here's a little insight into our elders or what we call our directors' meetings. Imagine what it's like when seven powerful people are all in the same room together. Don't panic. We all love one another as well. So, you know, it's like love and power, they need to go together. One of the reasons we've not been very powerful in the past is that we've not been free. Churches and church leaders, and I you know, include myself, hopefully, in the past in this, have wanted to make sure we could control the church. After all, you don't want people getting out of hand. You know, they're all quite young in their faith, some of them. So let's put some controls in place. At worst, people get motivated by church leaders, by guilt and legalism. Ever so easy. You know, you want something, I mean, I jokingly say to people, if grace don't work, doesn't work, try a bit of guilt. (laughs) I don't believe that, by the way, just in case, you know, for the sake of the the podcast, I don't believe that. (laughs) We'd find, one of the, one of the lovely things that's so quoted again and again about Eastgate is people come in and they feel the freedom. Literally. They come in and time and time again we get this. And this is all down to you folks. You've created, helped create this. There's an atmosphere. You know, people, uh, there's people walked into this building. I think Peter said this before. And they, uh, you know, a business person coming into a conference or something like that, he'll say, I've never seen a face that doesn't smile here at Eastgate. Let me just quickly practice that if you're, you know, keep the smile. <laughs> and uh, not a fake smile, but a genuine smile, I'm sure it is. Without, without freedom, you're not going to get much power, are you? Why? Because you're always kind of, kind of trying to keep a lid on things. That's why sometimes our worship times are a bit, a bit wild. 
People make some interesting noises, don't they, in, in our worship times. And we'd rather release people in the freedom of their worship than try and keeping a lid on it. Because then, then actually we can't be powerful. The most powerful people in this church are not the leaders. Now we want powerful leaders, but we want everybody to be powerful. That's another thing we've got to break into, isn't it? The, sort, of, sort of the hierarchical thinking. Hierarchical. Hierarchical. Those who think they are higher. All of us have been equipped to pray for the sick, to cast out the demons, to raise the dead. That's the challenge for all of us, isn't it? And that's, I know we're often going on about the miraculous and, and rightly so. But, you know, you can be powerful in all sorts of ways, can't you? You can be powerful in your compassion, powerful in your thinking, powerful in what you do every day, not just when you're in a church group. In fact, we want you to. There was a lovely, when we ran, as we ran our evening school some years ago, we saw this, this flip, this change. And as you know, most of our, a lot of our meetings like that, we share the good news, don't we? And for years, several years when we started our evening school, people would come and say, yeah, we pray for so-and-so in church. We pray for so-and-so. And they got healed. And they got healed. They got healed. And then there was this kind of shift over a period of months where we began to realize that people were starting to bring healing stories from outside of the walls of the church. They were becoming, they discovered God's power in church, but they'd gone outside the walls of the church. And, and, and now it's, you know, it's, you know, it's, they were, people are still getting healed in the church context, but far more so, people are getting healed and saved and touched by God in all sorts of ways, just in the general walk of life. That's a church people who are taking the kingdom. That's powerful people, isn't it? Thank you. Put your hand on the next person, person next to you say, you are a powerful person. And so we don't slip into false humility. Just say, turn to the same person and say, and I'm a powerful person too. Did you feel the, the fault, what I call the false humility dropping off of you? Right? Just, just get up. When you get up tomorrow, say, I am a powerful person. You don't do no other declaration. How many people do declarations on a regular basis, by the way? Okay. Amen. Keep going. Now, the time to make, it's easy to make declarations when the going's good, isn't it? When I feel powerful. God, that was a great meeting we had. Just, oh, it's lovely talking to that person about Jesus. It's lovely doing this or that or, or whatever. I feel really powerful. You know, the real, the test of, of a declaration is when you say it, when you don't feel it. Next time you feel a bit of a wasted, you know, wasted Christian, or you feel, you know, you think, oh, I'm not really doing well. That's the time when you say, oh, but I am a powerful person. In fact, this circumstance has arrived just in the nick of time. I am now going to declare that I am a powerful person. See, when you make declarations, you are making, it will feel, it won't feel real, will it? But that's not how I feel. That's okay. It doesn't matter how you feel at this stage. Your feelings are important, but it doesn't matter if you don't feel powerful. You are a powerful person. God has given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind, depending on your translation. <laughs> that's a great day. Let's do one more. You enjoying this? You feeling royal? These are all the attributes of royalty. We've only got through three of them. There are more. Read it in that book that my, my father's son wrote. <laughs> Riches. Oh, I'm glad somebody said that one. Come on. It's another kind of uh, problem that Christians have, isn't it? Who's the richest man who ever walked the planet? What's the answer to every Christian question? Jesus, sorry, come on. <laughs> now, here, this, is where we, this is where we go astray, isn't it? We think, oh, Jesus, meek and mild and poor. 
The only time Jesus didn't have a regular income is with those two or three years at the end of his life. Have you thought about that? He's a regular working man. He's earning a living. We all know, but we all see him in his ministry time and think, all oh, right, Jesus was poor. I need to be poor. Now, you know, I'm not, uh, not uh, you know, the, you know, people will continue to give up their, you know, secular uh, jobs, you know, and step out in faith in that sort of way. By the way, folks, you can have as much faith in your secular job as the person who we talk about. You know, it's one of those things now. I'm walking by faith. It means I haven't got a regular income. I'm just trusting. You know, you can be in full-time employment and just as much be trusting God for your finances. You're trusting God for a start that you'll stay in a job. (laughs) You're trusting God that as you give generously, God will provide so that you can give even more generously. You don't have to, you know, in, in days gone past, it, oh, if only I could live by faith, then, you know, I'd really sort of break through in my life. You don't have to do that. God may call you to do that. That's okay. There's no rule about it. But one is not better than the other. Why? Because you are a royal son and daughter of the gods, of God. You are rich. Just say to me, I'm rich. So the person next to you say, I'm rich. And you are rich too. <laughs> now, here's, here's the slight, you know, caveat to that. And I don't mean this to, to contra- in contradiction. Paul says, I've been, I am content when I have a lot and when I don't have very much. Or words to that effect. That's okay too. There are seasons of our life. Alright, we're probably, I say probably, not necessarily, but probably not going to. Most of us won't be millionaires in our life. Although it's easier to be a millionaire than it used to be, isn't it? You know, I've got a house, and it's uh, well. My last house was almost uh, worth half a million. Well, that wasn't unusual. I didn't. I only bought it for eighty thousand. Know, so. <laughs> Sorry for those who didn't catch that wave of the property market. <laughs> How did he do that? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, it was, took twenty-five years to go from eighty to four hundred thirty. Thousand, but um, but I suddenly find I'm nearly half a millionaire. Goodness me, it's just a house. Um, however, we ha- we can draw on the riches of God, can't we? This is so liberating. It's you know God's got yeah He's got all the spiritual riches, but you you know you know He has given us all things. We can pull on the riches of God. We can you know. Isn't it interesting? It took us years to get the first three and a half million for this building. The half a million for the annex, that came in in probably less than 12 months. Now, I know it's a small amount of money, but in terms of the time scale. Why? Because God had built faith over that time. God had built faith. You are coming into a people of faith who trust God, and you are going to, folks, you know, I'm not going to be here for... I don't know how many years I've got, but some of you are going to outlive me. Right? So you're looking for, well, of course I will. I'm I'm barely 30. (laughs) But, folks, you are going to have to trust God for millions. Have you thought that? There's another half a million we need. By the way, we've only just got that annex, but we have planning permission for an annex that end. We already need it. It's not often that building, that rooms in this building are not booked. In fact, you know, if you, if, if you're a staff member here and you need a meeting, you better get your booking in fairly early. I, one of my favorite emails now is bookings at Eastgate. Because I have to, you know, there's nobody says, oh, well, he's the director in the church, he can have, you know, he's, he, he gets priority. I have to get my booking in. Otherwise the bridge club will pinch it. Oh. No, they have a regular time they come in anyway, so you can't get in on those. All right, we've got this annex, and we want another one. We have planning permission, and planning permission only lasts five years, so we've got to get it in the next, well, it won't be in the next five years, probably quite soon. That's why we have this thing called the Growth Fund. But, you know, if you are a royal son and daughter, I like to say Jesus is stinking rich. And though for a period he was reliant on other people for his regular income, that was a choice that he had made. Paul says, you know, Jesus comes from the riches of heaven. 
makes himself poor in order that we might be made rich. And yes, that is spiritual riches, but it is also access into the Father in heaven who loves to pour out material blessing on us. Just as well, isn't it? And what we've been, what we've learned to do, you know, through, whether it's through our schools or whatever, is, you know, when we come across businesses, to pray for God to bless businesses. Why do we believe in that? Why? Because everything's covered by the kingdom of God. There isn't a spiritual sector and a secular sector. They all came under the same, the same thing. And so, God want, why does God want businesses to prosper? Not just so, you know, I know there are employers who will hoard their riches and so on. But, you know, prosperous businesses create jobs. Good jobs create, you know, makes it far easier to be to, for your family life. It doesn't mean your family life is dependent on your, your riches. But, you know, certainly unemployment is damaging to family life. God loves families. God loves families. He wants them to prosper. So he wants people to have good jobs. We want, our, we want this area, Gratiam, to be a great place for employment. We want God to create fantastic jobs, don't we? Jobs and dream jobs, that's one of our declarations. That declaration, as you notice, isn't just for you. It's a kingdom declaration. That we will have that. We will have good schools, good hospitals, trained staff. You know, they all get signed up for heaven in healthcare. (laughs) Because we want the, the supernatural to invade, but we also want good medicine. And those two things go together complement one another. That's what, you know, heaven and health is great stuff that some of you are involved in, you know, are pioneering and pressing into. Do you realize you're in a pioneering church? If you're new to the church, by the way, you are a pioneer. I'm sorry about that, you know, but, uh, well, I'm not sorry, but uh, I'm not apologizing for it. It was one of those prophetic words that we had nine times in different places from different people that we would be forerunners. As I said to Pete once, trouble with being a forerunner is it takes a lot of running. We're an energetic church. As somebody said, it doesn't seem, I mean, even people in business and society have said to us recently, you guys don't stand still, do you? Why would you want to stand still when the kingdom is advancing? We are so grateful for what God has done, but that's just a platform. I remember standing outside with one of our leaders, looking, and he said, we did it. We looked at the building, he said, we did it. And I remember sort of the thought came to me, yeah, this is a platform for all the rest that's going to flow. Okay? This is not the end result. This is actually the platform for the next stage. And you are part of that next stage. Actually, it doesn't mean just if you're under 30, you know, I plan to be part of that next stage. I'll be hanging around as long as I can. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay, so I always want to be fully involved with what God, God is doing, whatever that looks like. Amen? Have you done in, are you convinced about your royalty? We didn't talk about glory, but that's something else. You know, often we give, even that, let's give God the glory, which we do. Even that, God says... I'm changing you from one degree of glory to another. Turn to the person, this is the last time you say this. You are being changed from one degree of glory to another. Which means, some translations say, you're with ever-increasing glory. So you think you're glorious now? Tomorrow you're going to be even more glorious. Why don't you make that declaration for tomorrow? I've got this list of declarations, Steve Backland. They're declarations for tomorrow. They're genius. Right? Just try Googling it. I don't know if you'll find it on Google. If you're, if you're not on Steve Backlund's email, it's worth getting Igniting Hope. Do a search on that. You'll find Igniting Hope. And then put in a search for 12 declarations for tomorrow. Let's make one for tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to be more glorious than I am today. Can we do that? Tomorrow I'm going to be more glorious than I am today. Amen. Just going to put one final song on. Well, I want you to just spend some, you can move around, find a bit of space. We won't finish the meeting formally. If you need to slip off, then do that. 
So you can stand or sit. Just ask God for one thing tonight you're going to go away with. That's going to take you from where you are to where God's taking you. He's enlarging your sense of who you are.